This is Triathlon Therapy with your host, Danny McKenna, professional athlete and coach, Tim Reed, and... That's too much time. Look at Steve McKenna. Steve, what are you doing, Steve? That's too much time. Advantage Reed. It's our pleasure to have Radka Carfeld on the podcast today. Radka is a pro triathlete ranked 57th on the PTO rankings, runs a coaching business called BKR Coaching, has won countless long course triathlons all around the world, and is an all round super mum. This year, Radka has taken second place at Husky Tri, Ironman 70.3 Geelong, and more recently at Ironman Port Macquarie. Radka, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks, Danielle. Hi guys. <laughs> hey Rads. So I'm um, sorry about Danny's pronunciation of your surname there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty I, happy Rad just said Danielle. <laughs> I googled I know, how to Danny, pronounce but... it. I googled how to pronounce it, and I'll redo it later. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, leave it in. <laughs> um, it's, Rads, it's a difficult it's... one. It's a difficult one. But if you would, before I was married to Brad, I don't know if you would be able to pronounce my. Um, my maiden surname, which is Vodichkova. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Rats, thanks. Thank you for taking the time. I know um, as a former athlete, parent, myself, it's how, how hard it can be to fit things in like this, and especially given that you're coaching as well. Um, Rats, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about and the thing that I got um, was excited about having you on here to talk about was your attitude with racing. I remember meeting you maybe for the first time. I can't remember if we'd known each other or not, but asking you how you felt before a race. And you said, oh, I just woke up and I was so excited that it was race day. And I remember thinking, what the hell? Like, I'm so nervous and anxious. Like, um, I, I had this real trepidation with every race that would build up in my head. And I think it helped me race quite well. But you had you have a level of excitement and calm and and a different way of looking at it that perhaps uh, is quite unique. I mean, amongst many athletes I've spoken to, can you talk about that level of enthusiasm and how you've been able, especially over the years, you've raced about as much as anyone. What's the mindset that you have? I think you're talking about when we met before children, because I was racing basically every weekend or every other weekend. So for me, racing actually feels easier than just to grind you know whole month of full-on training so racing means there's like some tapering then there is some like you know some celebration and like few days off and then back into racing so that's why um racing was always like the easier thing for me to do and i was yeah i i think maybe like 2013 or so i would do it like I don't know how many, like 25 races in a year. And it was like a combination of Olympic distance and half. Um, so like, I would not even count how many races I would do that year. Just like at the end of the year, I'm like, oh, wow, that was solid. <laughs> um, but now, like like as a mom, to to do a race, it's a whole new like level of like organization wise, just to fit it all in, just to plan like, do we travel as a whole family? Who has the kids? Now Ruby started school, so how long do we pull her out of school? We are just planning Armen Cairns. 
and it's like oh my god so ruby do we'll do wednesday school then we travel to sydney then we fly oh we have to stay for the ceremony on monday so we're coming back on tuesday she'll miss out those days now the flights are so expensive and mm. how to fit everyone in a accommodation and all those um things around it and um yeah it's way more complicated and so before i choose a race it's like so many more things to think about i'm just looking at um booking flights and accommodation for kona and that's yeah that's that's extra right don't you also run the only swim center for kids in um wagga wagga yeah so that well, one, who runs that few, but yeah we, that's our now main business so wagga swim hub so we have like 1200 kids a week coming in for swimming and um so when when Reedy said um i have my coaching business i don't actually coach anymore because hmm. i don't, don't have time so brad is still doing the coaching vkr coaching but my thing is make sure the kids are surviving we have something in the fridge to eat and then the the Woga swim hub business and my yeah racing and training still <laughs> how much sleep do you get a night rats <laughs> oh, i'm trying to be good with the sleep but um i'm getting a help so i i got a robovac that's a vacuum and mop in one <laughs> i was like because it, it was like I, I can't even do the floors so <laughs> this year i committed i just have to pick up all the toys from the floor and then start the robovac while i'm going to sleep <laughs> so this is a, a, like a step ahead <laughs> are you training way less do you train way less with um all of this on and just somehow um, get through these races successfully yeah i'm training a little bit less but i think still similar what well when ruby was born so my first child uh i yeah i was training less but way more quality so everything was like smashing yourself on a wind trainer smashing yourself on a treadmill quickly hit the you know the main sets in the pool and just go back to the baby and that kind of stayed uh so but i think that works well for me. Um, now it's like, because Ruby is older, she's, she's five and she like questions when I go for training or stuff. So I have kind of like mom's guilt feeling. <laughs> I don't have that when like little Indy, she's two and she just like waves by by and just doesn't care. But with Ruby, she's like, oh, are you, are you going, are you riding tomorrow morning or can we have breakfast together? And I, that that's hurting my heart. <laughs> it's hard. So, she already knows like if I run in the shadow on a treadmill, that's Tuesday, that's today. That's a happy day because we have breakfast together first and she can visit me in the shed. So it's a balance and um, yeah, uh, I think you, you have to love it. Otherwise it's so easy to just say that can't, can't do it. Yeah, I think Rad's, um, I thought I had kids really young and I thought this would be great for my triathlon career because once they're five, six, seven, then it'll be so much easier. And there are some things that are easier, but exactly what you said, I felt this overwhelming guilt when I'd be traveling. And, you know, I think I've talked about it before, like my middle son in particular, until I stopped till COVID, he would barely acknowledge me. <laughs> like he was like dead against me because he hated the inconsistency of me, inconsistency of me traveling to races It'd take him like two weeks to warm back up to me. Then I'd pop off again to the US and he would be 
like again i'd come back and he wouldn't talk to me for a week <laughs> um and so yeah it really like affects you i think as they get older and you realize um you know i think you're in a great position you're still it's still earning good money for you guys and everything else but it is a difference when they get older i thought it would be easier but it's worked out harder <laughs> yeah 100 percent. you're gonna make me cry because this is exactly <laughs> how i feel and i'm not going anywhere i'm not doing long trips away so the only time I was away was last year for the Collins Cup, uh, sorry, for what is it, PTO uh, Canadian Cup. And then like that was the worst trip because because of that, I've decided to stop, stop breastfeeding Indy. And so I had the worst mother's guilt feelings just to be like I was away and left the kids here. My mom was here, so she was, she was a good help for Brad, but yeah, I didn't like it. And I, I feel like, going away for a race just myself and Brad is good but I I miss the kids so that's why we're going together to Cairns I know when we will be in Cairns I'll be like oh my god it's crazy I can't even have dinner I can't prepare my race gear but on the other hand it's like you think about you know just main things to get through and you're not stressing about the race you don't have time mm -hmm. that's that's exactly what was last year in Cairns I'm like Sixty, just take the kids out for a couple of hours. I need to prepare my shoes and nutrition just so I don't forget anything. And it will be again the same thing, but I will love it way more than when we were in port without the kids. And I'm just like, what are they mm -hmm. doing? And there's a playground, they would love it here. And stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rads. We're being um, pretty aware of how much time you've got. Should we move on to that study, Steve, um, that looks into. <clears throat> How women went, uh, was it trail runners or elite runners in general and how they went it, post pregnancy? Uh, it's, it's a trail runner, um, website, but it, I think it was just elite runners. So, um, they had like, what was it? 42 elite runners. So you can call this study shit or hit based on that. I haven't read it into it too much. Um, I'm going to call it a shit just because the name is too long. <laughs> Of the <laughs> people who studied it, <laughs> medicine and science in sport and exercise journal. Get a new name. <laughs> but basically, Radka, because you were coming on, um, similar to Reedy, I, I met you in Taiwan, Challenge Taiwan, where I had a parasite that time, and I was highly stressed before races, uh, like Reedy. Maybe because he was my coach then and taught me how to be stressed before a race. <laughs> but um, yeah, you you were really relaxed, and I was I was being really careful about what I ate, and still ended up getting a parasite and couldn't race. But uh, I was just amazed at those few years when you, you're always in awe of people on the podium, um, and you were winning every single race that I'd I'd been to, and and I all just saw happening. Um, and I just didn't understand how you were so relaxed. You had a kid, you were traveling with the kid. You'd only just had your baby as well. I reckon at that point it was 2000, maybe 2018 or something when I met you. Yeah. And you. Well, Ruby was born 2018 in January. I don't know if we met in like end of 2018, possibly. It would have been right at the end. Um, yeah, I, I remember that race. My main stress was when I saw Brad during the race when I was running already. He had our little tiny Ruby on the back of the uh, bike on the, like the carriage. And I'm just like, <laughs> where is her hat? Does she have a sunblock? And he's like, just run. I'm like, protect her, where's her hat? <laughs> this is like my main stresses during the race when it's just so little. 
and like yeah i remember like race as well i'm like where's the prem how come you're cheering me on without the prem where's the prem like, <laughs> in the shades fine <laughs> but ba basically yeah. you, you went on to win just about everything and i couldn't believe it i thought She's just had this baby and she, it's unbelievable the mum strength you had. I didn't really understand it at the time because I didn't have a baby myself or anything. Um, I couldn't understand how much it would put you out, but I know now. <laughs> and it's, it would be so tough to get back to racing and you came back and won everything. So there's a study here that says 46%. Uh, it's, well, the, the title is, what is it? Uh, groundbreaking new study on pregnancy and athletic performance. And it says 46% didn't just get back to their, you know, um, the standard they were at uh, within a year or two of having a baby, but they improved within a year or two. So before two year mark, 46%, uh, almost half were better than they were before the baby, so which is like unbelievable. 50, it's not much. <laughs> 50, 50. <laughs> no, but I would say, um, there is something to it. Like, I think the nature prepares the mom to survive impossible things. That's why, like, moms are okay to wake up 10 times at night to breastfeed. And then there's some special hormone which puts you straight back to sleep. If the husband gets up and, um, feed, like, would feed the baby, they can't fall back asleep. So the moms, they have, like, they feed the baby, go back into the deep sleep, and they wake up actually fresh and fine. Oh, amen, Rads. I've been trying to tell my wife this <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Oh, my God, I'm oh, telling Lauren this. Not yeah. that I helped at all. <laughs> but it's, so, it's exactly right. I don't know how how else would you survive that. Like it's literally 90-minute yeah. increments of sleep and yet um, amazingly women seem to be able to function and not yeah. turn into monsters like I well, do after, with 90 minute increments. <laughs> you're still a monster, but you're surviving and you're able to take care of your baby. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting, but I would say, and I heard from other athletes, that the first two years, you really feel great after having the baby. And then after the two years, it's like back to your kind of pre-baby normal. And I felt the same thing. So I had Ruby 2018. 2018, 2019, amazing, um, like two seasons. And then I felt back, like, I'm like, I, I am lacking something. There's no, not like that power or something. So, um, and it's not my, I, I didn't decide to have another baby just to have like <laughs> big power, but I know like back many years ago, I raced in Spain and there was this mom who finished a race and like went straight to breastfeeding. And I thought, oh my God. And, and she's like, well, I have every two years a baby because I know that um, I'll get back into like this amazing shape. And I was like, that's bad to say it like that, to have a baby just because you want to be great. In <laughs> but it, it must be something there. It so there, so it's interesting when you look at the physiology of what happens in that, I think when you um, become heavily pregnant, you, your blood volume increases up to 14%. And then uh, even after the baby is born, you still maintain this blood volume increase of, I think, somewhere around 5 or 6%. So you've got this extra blood volume, which is, you know, essentially legal blood doping. And then you factor in potentially, you know, just higher pain threshold, all the other factors maybe. that come with um, just maybe giving birth. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, 
but there's something there's definitely something about the physiology of it i think um what was interesting about that study is i think it said 46 percent return to pre pre uh birth levels pre-pregnancy levels all better but that still means that more than half didn't and i think if given the physiology shows that you do get better it also shows how freaking hard it is to for most women to be able to get back into training if you don't have a really supportive partner you know who can pick up a lot of the slack if you if you don't have that real desire as well it's life's a lot harder so yes the study said it made it out like in the title oh groundbreaking study that shows 46 percent get better and i'm like that's a little bit depressing because more than half didn't get better yeah. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> well yeah it's it's basically you don't you have a baby and then if you sit back and relax and wait until you get better no it won't happen you have to put the effort into it and you really have to have the willpower because like i said there's so many opportunities or excuses you could make why i'm not swimming today why i'm not going running because the baby is sick or i was waking up the whole night you could have so many excuses why not to do it but if you're motivated and you love the sport and you have the sport like you said really um then um then you can do it so yeah you, you have to be like mentally strong and be supported and i had like not just brad supporting me but also my main sponsor Liz stayed with me like the whole both of the pregnancies and they were like no no pressure don't need to start racing um basically whenever you want and they actually used my pregnancy to promote um basically the benefits of being a mom and how to you know how to get back into it and then later how to inspire your kids to start sports with sports and stuff like that so yeah so you'll be due for another one in about six months <laughs> i'll be 40 next year so i just found out <laughs> it's crazy now so every time the girls both sleeping i am like wow maybe we can have another one but then during the day when they're running around it's crazy in the house i'm like no way no way <laughs> yeah i i feel like you, between, the difference between one and two is quite large the difference between two and three is not that large i think um, if you've already got constant chaos i, I we i mean it always depends on the child's personality but i for me it was like three four who cares <laughs> our lives are already just total chaos <laughs> yeah, three crazy boys isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah i remember when i i don't know when we talked and you was like oh my god you're like he was holding ruby and he's like oh wow this is like how a girl is like so calm and <laughs> my boys are crazy and I think, <laughs> yeah yeah i have a lot of people say to me yeah, there's kids and then there's your kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are your kids. <laughs> yeah. um, what are your plans, Radka, after Cairns? You'll recover, I guess, and then is, yeah, you won't leave the country for anything? or So, well, I've just heard from Danny, Danielle uh, that my PTO ranking is 50. <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I, so I was kind of hoping that I can manage and uh, get to the start line for the Singapore PTO race. 
but because they are like doing only 20 people can race i'll be just hoping <laughs> that's it i'm not sure if like canes will get me up with some points but i would i'll definitely do canes um and then see what happens with singapore otherwise i'll just be training and getting ready for hawaii well if the pto yeah if the pto is listening rads is particularly good in hot humid races so it'd be mm -hmm. i think it'd be a real shame for you not to be in singapore mm. um because that has traditionally been where you really seem to just beat yeah, some it. of the best girls yeah yeah, even though would, now we are training in Wagga and it's like, it's been like minus five last week as well. So it's crazy. <laughs> hey, Radka, uh, I would I would plan for it if I was you and um, train like it's going to happen even to the last minute because uh, I got a Euro Open one last minute and I was 42 in the world and it went on all the way to 50th. So if you get up to like 50th after Cairns, the week after Singapore is 70.3 worlds. So there'll be heaps of people not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Would you plan as well the same thing? Oh, I'll be. I'll, I know I'm going to do 70.3 worlds, so no PTO oh. racing this year. I reckon just. Okay. To, I want to lock in a plan, and that's. Are it. you taking the family? Yeah. So the the my compromise was I'll only go away once, um, because um, I cried too much last time when I was alone <laughs> for nine weeks, <laughs> and I think the last straw for me was the Canadian Open as well. Just like you, I was like, oh, that's it. I won't do these. I won't travel unless they come now. So um, Reedy wants me to do big races like the Worlds. So mm -hmm. if I do it properly and have the girls come, I'll be happy and it'll go well. But only once a year, I reckon. Yeah. You're racing so well now, so it, it will be good for you to go. Yeah. And that that's it, though. Just the... I'm, ta I'm trying to take advice from Reedy and mix, <laughs> mix it in with what Lauren wants and what I want. So it's kind of, uh, I think it's good a good plan, but the PTO racing, not this year. I think yeah. the PTO racing is great. I just don't like last minute call-ups and having to quickly switch around plans because you're going to be lining up against the best guys in the world. It's, mm. it's, uh, it's hard to just suddenly shift your whole training plan around to be peak, in peak shape when you've got yeah. guys traveling, you know, two to two to four hours from altitude straight to, straight there so mm. hey rads thanks um so so much for coming on we know you got to get thanks, get Nash, to work for having um, me i'm listening to your podcast i, I have to <laughs> laugh like you get you, you give so much you to other people it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Ad, admit that you only listened just because you knew you were coming on and wanted no, to know no, what no, we no. <laughs> from when you started <laughs> well that's good i thought it was just our parents but we've got one more <laughs> <laughs> well i'm like in the same age category so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no it's always a joy to talk to you because you really do bring so much joy so um i hope you keep enjoying the sport and the last few years of your career are um, as fun as you make it look, you know, so um, best of luck in Cairns. I'm sure you'll do fantastic. Are you coming to watch now? No, 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 no. <laughs> no not this one. Clint's going yeah. to that one. I'm, I'm going to do Bustleton instead. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks. Okay. Right. See you there, <laughs> thanks. Right, See you. Bye. -bye. See ya. Bye. -bye. See ya. All right, what's, what do we got? We got some fan questions to run through. Sure. First of all, of all the different tests that Norwegians do, what are the most relevant tests that an age gripper should do with their coach? Reedy? 
I have to admit, I don't watch all the YouTube and all that sort of things, so I don't really know everything they do. Um, I also get pretty pretty over athletes going, oh, the Norwegians are doing this this week. We should do this. And I'm like, oh, God, let's just stick to the plan. I, I, the, the main thing that I think they do really well is they understand their training zones and know where their training zones are um, very precisely. And um, I think... Just a quick one for everyone out there, because we get this a lot, is like, well, how do I work out your training zones? You know, you can do lactate testing or you can do um, gas exchange testing, which is probably the gold standard. Essentially, you wear a mask and it analyzes the amount of um, carbon dioxide you're expelling at, while you go, while the intensity increases um, and also measures the rate of oxygen you're taking in. And so you're basically identifying the key turn points of when certain certain ventilatory thresholds are reached, which will, you can establish your training zones. Uh, it's pretty much the same as lactate testing. They're not, they tend to correlate, but they don't, um, they don't often precisely align. Um, often um, ventilatory thresholds are slightly lower, but the main thing is um, getting some reason, reasonably accurate training zones just so that most people think they're doing zone two when they're not, when they're running. Um, often that they can sometimes go slightly harder on the bike. Um, it's all very relative to the athlete, but just understanding your zones is what the Norwegians seem to do very, very well. And then they nail their key sessions well because they're not, um, probably not gray zoning any of the aerobic training. Anything you want to add to that, Steve? Having watched all their YouTube stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I I haven't, and I don't know much. All I know is um, nothing. <laughs> Reedy, I got a question about that. Where does the price point sit with the gas exchange testing? I know what Steve spends on the lactate stuff. I think it's what fifteen twenty dollars a strip or something, Steve. But um, what about yeah? Where's the price sit with that? Is that what he's telling you when he tests you? Because it's like five bucks a strip. You bastard. <laughs> no, give me my money if back. You, if you buy... If you buy one thing at a time, you know, one um, cylinder at a time, whatever they're called, um, right. then it works out more expensive. And I had done that at the start. Plus all the other crap you buy to go with it. Yeah. Um, it adds it's up to like... 10 bucks a strip or something, I reckon. It's definitely not cheap to get your own testing. There are um, cheaper, they're getting cheaper options available, but to do your own lactate testing is not overly complicated. Sometimes it can help to have someone assist you, especially on the bike. Um, but yeah, it's typically somewhere between 500 to 800 bucks to get a little um, device, computer, machine, computer, whatever you call it. And then the strips are somewhere between five and $8 a strip um i've totally forgotten what the question was but also I've got, I've got to mention with the gas exchange why i think it's gold standard is you also can assess um basically how much carbohydrate and fat you're utilizing at eight different increments of intensity which is pretty uh useful for a coach you know it's one thing to know where your where your training zones are but it's also good to know you know if you need to improve you know as a fat burner um if you're where your sort of thresholds lie in terms of carbohydrate usage as well. So that's the other reason I sort of prefer that. The question you had was the cost of that ranges from somewhere between, I think it's like 400 to $800, depending on the place you go to. Um, 
most universities will do it if people are out there looking and there are a lot of like portable devices that a lot of chiros and things like that do i would be a little bit weary of them i'm not entirely sold on the consistency of those devices um but i'm happy to be told that i'm completely wrong email me if that's true but i just don't necessarily trust those that machinery compared to like the you know the really expensive stuff that they've got at universities Next fan question, how to prepare for a hot weathered race when you live in cold conditions, e.g. I live in Melbourne and I'm racing cans. Steve? Uh, I was going to pass that one to Reedy because he's had a lot more experience with it. Um, <laughs> I already said before the show, I'm passing that one to Steve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the main reason because you're in it at the moment. Um, we're lucky that with RPG, we've got Sam Tebeck, who's got a PhD and heat uh, acclimation for racing and at the moment we're sort of working through it with steve in that it's uh sort of every second to th oh, i was every third day to start with the first week steve is that sound right and then we're moving sort of every second yeah. day um, his, pro his protocol is three times a week three times a week this is four weeks leading in five times two weeks out and only once on race week and that's your four weeks. And he doesn't want you to do it before the four weeks because he said you'll plateau in your uh, heat adaptations or like blood plasma volumes um, increasing. So four yeah. weeks only. And I, I have seen people start doing it six, seven weeks out when they're in their most tra stressful training loads. And I'm, I've never really understood that because I haven't seen any evidence of further adaption after that sort of three to four week mark. So I would be keeping that extra heat stress out of it while you're doing as much of the other load that you can or the necessary training load and then bring it in especially as the taper is uh is starting and the, and the load's backing off because it is another stress it's bloody if you do it especially for a lot of athletes i you know the first few especially i say don't do it after 12 p.m because it's too hard to get your your blood plasma levels back up and you end up just going to bed with your blood pressure through the roof uh, staring at the ceiling, not able to sleep. So, uh, but as you get more adapted, um, you sort of can get away with afternoon sessions. Steve, what are just some examples of, you know, sessions that you're doing sauna, running with a jumper, like how? Yeah. Cause I, th I was actually about to say, let's, let's say was what the question was how to prepare if you're in Melbourne for a hot race. Is that the question? Yeah. Okay, cool. So we've given the protocol. Um, sessions could include um, getting in the sauna for half an hour, which gets really tough regardless of what you've done beforehand, but we're doing it after exercise at the moment. So um, that's one. And that's probably the hard, I reckon that's the hardest one for me by a mile. The other day I finished one at the gym. Um, so I swam real hard and then got in. So I was real hot already jumped in because the pool or ice swim is 32 degrees at next gen. I heard from the guy the other day, which is ridiculous. It slows you down already. And then approaching half an hour, I was in a bad way. Like it's, it was the hardest session I'd done in a while. And my fingers started tingling and teeth started like getting this feeling like I'm going to pass out in a race. <laughs> I'm like, all right, <laughs> cutting it at 25 and getting out. And um, it ruined me for a while. And I went to order a sandwich, which I wasn't hungry for, but I knew I had to get food now because I'm, driving for the next 40 minutes so i'm there ordering this sandwich and <laughs> i don't know what i said but she grabbed something completely different to what i thought i said and she's like you said a wrap and you said toasted i was like is that beef i asked the chicken and she goes 
And she, and she looked at me like I was the biggest weirdo on the planet. I was sweating profusely, like these <laughs> clothes that I just put on. And I couldn't get my words out. I was like, um, and I had, couldn't think either. I was like completely cool. So the heat training at the moment is bringing a whole new level of brain fog and um, uh, just fatigue, I guess. it's. I don't think my hours are huge, but last week was pretty tough just because the three sessions that I did with the heat kind of ruined me for the Arvo and maybe the next morning. The cool thing is about that, I think you'll get the bulk of the adaptions within after those three first sessions. So for everyone stressing out about what Steve's saying, yes, it is pretty hard and quite stressful on the body, but that by the time you're into the second and third week of it, it's not as bad. So your body has added the extra blood volume. Um, you've had a lot of other adaptations such as, you know, sodium concentration, sweat goes down, your ability to cool yourself just gets better. And also your brain, you know, your, your primary governor of stress is just not that worried when you're getting really hot like it was when you first start out, which is half the, probably a lot of the reason you do it is for the psychological benefit of your brain going, this is cool. I'm used to this. So when you're racing in cans about to, you know, hit the 30 K mark and overheating, your brain is going, I'm, I'm okay with this heat stress <laughs> as well as your body saying I'm well adapted. Reedy, correct me if I'm wrong. The net just for everyone listening, the takeaway should not be to try and find a pool that's 32 degrees, right? Because that I go to next gen with Steve as well, and that is 32 degrees for the the old aqua athletics people. <laughs> I, I, I always found it really. If I did a 32 degree swim, I counted that as my heat stress. <laughs> I didn't do the sauna after. <laughs> um, that's some serious stress. But that's classic Steve. He doesn't do things halfway, which is why he's good. <laughs> <laughs> why i've got siggy butt brain um so really with, with um <laughs> so with the other types of um heat sessions i would do it on the bike and run indoors <clears throat> um i would what my plan is because i haven't got this yet because next week's when i'm doing five sessions um i'm gonna get two ground heaters and just because the shed's semi big so it stays cool with um a bit of wind flow but if I get two ground heaters and overdress a little bit is 45 minutes. Um, the actual heat period is enough, isn't it? And, and do you get like to the point where you've lost how many kilos do you reckon? Yeah. So I, I used to do it based on time and then I started getting people to do it based off how much, um, how much weight they'd lose. The reason being is if someone's losing, you know, Sam Benton loses four liters an hour. If he doesn't 75 minute sweat session, I'd be worried about his health, you know? So I'm like, jump off once you get to two and a half, lead, two and a half kilos down. Or, and then he can't, and he can't function the rest of the day if he's lost four kilos or five kilos. So I used to do it based off, um, yeah, leaders of sweats. Uh, I think Sam does it slightly different. The main thing is just to not go silly with it. So you want to be quite uncomfortable, Steve, but if you can't order a sandwich after, you've probably pushed it just that little bit too far. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is the first um time in about since having winnie i'd say that i've been able to do a heat prep because i've been so nervous about getting sick before now and it's just not possible to give yourself this type of stress because it's you know dehydration to this level that's exactly how you're going to get sick if any bugs around you so um yeah that's like why obviously why drinking also every time you drink you get sick if it's um but yeah at, at the moment no sickness is around me so i'm going to go for it until it 
until I see snot and Winnie's face. It's almost a bad. It's almost a bad omen. We've had so much success with you racing sick. I'm a bit worried. I'll at least I'll be able to laugh about it. If Cairns goes horribly and I'm not sick in the lead in, I'll just be like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Winnie, Winnie's just sitting there like, "So you're just gonna blame me no matter what?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, that sucks. I got no excuse for this one. <laughs> She's going to be a pretty boring person if she's listening to this in 10 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> With nothing better to do, going, I can't believe you said that, Dad. <laughs> oh, hey, All can right. I just quickly, while we're um, just a bit of an interlude, we are, um, RPG are going to run, are planning on running an aero camp uh, early January where we've actually got, um, an aerodynamic specialist from the US, keen on coming over if we can get the numbers. So his name is Jim Manton, um, well known in the US. Uh, I've seen, you know, firsthand some of the work he's done, but he's, you know, worked with 23 world champions, numerous Olympic um, medalists and turned them all into absolutely aerodynamically supreme humans. Um, and he's the, he's the founder of Aero um testing in, in the us and basically the way he did does his testing is quite different in that you know if you go into a wind tunnel or a velodrome um velodrome's not so bad but there's a lot of changes that can't be measured you know people move a lot differently on their bike when they're out on the road than they do when they're set up stationary in a wind tunnel and so jim's got a way of of doing very accurate um precise aerodynamic um assessments of people and making some quick changes not quick but it will take a little bit of time but making some changes that could significantly lower your um cda and change how much speed you get for the watts you're putting out we're looking at running it in early january um probably the that first week so the third to sort of eighth or third to fifth third to sixth seventh we're not sure Basically, it will be a training camp, but then for the one day of that of that camp, you'll be working almost exclusively with Jim, probably one other person on a on a track, uh, outdoor track, to improve your aerodynamics. If you're interested in this, we need to start getting uh, levels of interest together. Can you email me at rpgcoaching at gmail.com or contact through the website, um, rpgcoaching.com? And then actually, is my email? Hang on a second. Readperformancegroup at gmail.com is the email. Um, let me know if you're interested. We want to try and make it as affordable as possible. It, will, it won't be a super cheap camp because we do have to fly Jim over from the US, but there is not a lot out there in Australia in terms of accurate um, aerodynamic testing to really refine people's positions. And you see it when you, when you look at the Euros race, when you look at the top US athletes race, and then the Aussies are always playing catch up. And uh, I'm... Clint and I are on a mission to change that. So let us know if you're interested. We are very keen to get Jim over, but we have to start getting levels of interest now so we can send you out more information to decide whether it's possible to go ahead. Awesome. I'll be there, Andy. For sure. For sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that uh, we you, you do. I think you said that's early January. So anyone doing Tassie could probably probably do both yeah um the camp will not just be about the aero testing it'll be about getting starting to get your base back after most people's 
um, overindulgement Christmas period. So uh, it will be much more than just error testing, but the key difference to compared to most camps will be that, uh, yeah, you can really dial in your fit and get a lot faster for the effort you're putting out. What are the different types of race dynamics and styles from country to country, e.g. racing between Australia, America, or Europe? All right. Uh, Steve, you could probably talk to this, but I, I always think Australia's, um, in general, it's it's very much a swim-run race. <laughs> the bike is just not as hard as the US and certainly not a lot of not as hard as a lot of the European races, especially if the the hilly European races. It's like you have to actually know how to ride a bike downhill. Um, and the yeah, even the level of just the time trialing level. When I first went to the US, I was like, whoa, I am I need to like increase 20, 30 watts um, to be competitive here compared to Australia. Uh, at the same time, when you come to Australia, I used to have to get my running right in shape. And of course, every race is slightly different, but that would be my quick takeaway yeah I, I tend to agree with that i think um uh since that canadian open last year in july i just started focusing on wanting i wanting i wanted to win races so, um so to do that in australia i was focusing on getting a really good swim to be comfortable to then sit around yelling at people for a 90k and then <laughs> run really well <laughs> but but um no i don't actually do that but um the i think yeah overseas um, it's pretty impressive that, it, that if they are running well, and, you, and I think you see such fast running in Australia, it's purely because um, there's a game of cat and mouse on the bike, and I, it, it would be tough for them to come and race in Australia. They probably think, oh, that'd be easy, but they don't realise that it's very tough to break away from an Aussie pack because they are strong bike riders. They just choose not to be on the day. So, yeah. I also think, too, there's a level of when you've travelled to the country, you're just a little bit off for a while while you're there so it would take me six to eight weeks before i'd start going well once i got to the us and you know i've only done a couple of rushed europe trips but i never really would be at that the level that i felt i could get to it when i was racing at home so sometimes you know you know we see it when europeans come to australia and their uber bike is in europe and suddenly they're they're sort of nullified in asia or australia or new zealand they're not quite as special as we expected. Um, and I think a lot of that is, well, they've just had to travel 30 odd hours and shift time zones and all that sort of thing. So um, it's always hard traveling wherever you go, but the dynamics certainly do seem to be tougher bike over in Europe and in uh, tougher, tougher bike in Europe, I'd say for most races, except when they seem to have that like 10, 10 motorbike um, motorcade that seems to drift along with the, you know, the large, larger Ironman races sometimes I'm like that is ridiculous but even then they're just going super fast so maybe it's still super hard biking as well mm. if you guys had to guess um, there's some big races over in Australia and New Zealand next year namely long course world champs Townsville and then shortly after the 70.3 world champs in Taupo New Zealand do you think generally speaking a lot of those US and Europeans won't come for that because, you know, vice versa, you know, it's too hard to travel this far. Australia is very far away. You know, I dare say we're Uber swimmers over here as well. Yeah, I think I think the hard part is that they've got lots of options. So Australians are often forced to travel and they're like, well, I've got some money in the bank. I've had heaps of races. So that might be the, the thing that stops them traveling. I think it's it's a necessary 
part of just being an Australian pro is you, you got to, if you want to make a pretty consistent income, you got to get out into the world. Yeah, I think that's going to be very good for Aussies um, and New Zealanders next year. I can't wait because with this new idea for the next two years that I'm not going to go away for a long period. Luckily, they have to come to me next year. So for the first time probably in my career, um, I'm going to be as, as arrogant as the Norwegians and say I'll win the Townsville race and I'll be the world champ for the 70.3 race too because <laughs> that never <laughs> comes, comes to me. <laughs> well, you got to contend with those New Zealanders as well. They're going to be on another level come 70.3 champs, right? So is that that's in December, isn't it? That's um, yeah. do you say that was is that is it early year where the New Zealanders are hard to beat, Reedy, or is it December? They're well? always they're always undefeatable in um, <laughs> like February, March, you know, like and then I actually think you've probably got a good chance, a better chance in uh, November, December, because it's just starting to warm up there, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They're they're amazing in March though. So, yeah. Um, we will see what happens with 70.3 worlds. I think if a lot of them have traveled to the U S and done a season overseas, they could be coming off the back of that. And it's a lot of travel, a bit of fatigue. Um, mm. maybe not quite as dominant as if it was a March race. That's for sure.